Vagus nerve. Learn how to activate, stimulate, and treat the most important nerve in your body. By William Lindley. Narrated by Michael Goodrick. Introduction Imagine that it's a Sunday afternoon. You've just eaten a delicious three-course meal, and now you're sitting down on the couch to unwind and relax. You feel completely at rest, so much so that you begin to doze off in and out of sleep. While you may think your body is as relaxed as you are, in fact, one of the divisions of your nervous system is hard at work. The parasympathetic nervous system is busy slowing your heart rate, regulating your breathing, and shouting out orders to the organs of your digestive system. The rest and digest period is well underway. One nerve in particular is working diligently. This is the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is so named because it wanders like a vagabond, sending out sensory fibers from your brainstem to your visceral organs. The vagus nerve, the longest of the cranial nerves, controls your inner nerve center, the parasympathetic nervous system. And it oversees a vast range of crucial functions, communicating motor and sensory impulses to every organ in your body. New research has revealed that it may also be the missing link to treating chronic inflammation and the beginning of an exciting new field of treatment for serious, incurable diseases. In this book, we shall look at the anatomy of the vagus nerve, its anatomical course, functions, clinical correlations, among other things. Chapter 1. The Vagus Nerve The vagus nerve, or the 10th cranial nerve, CNX, is primarily associated with the parasympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system. However, it also has some sympathetic influence through peripheral chemoreceptors. The vagus nerve is a mixed nerve, as it contains both efferent, sensory, and efferent motor fibers. This means it is responsible for not only carrying motor signals to the organs it innervates, but it also carries sensory information from these organs back to the central nervous system. Specifically, the vagus nerve contains general afferent sensory fibers, special sensory, visceral afferent sensory fibers, branchial efferent motor fibers, visceral efferent motor fibers. General afferent fibers are responsible for perceiving touch, pain, temperature, pressure, vibration, and proprioceptive sensation from the posterior ear, external auditory meatus, and posterior and the external surface of the tympatic membrane. Visceral afferent fibers are responsible for perceiving sensory input, with the exception of pain, from the viscera, or internal organs, of the body's main cavity. Branchial efferent fibers innervate the muscles that develop from the branchial arches, such as the muscles of mastication, the tensor tympani and the tensor veli palatini. Special sensory convey taste from palate and epiglottis. Finally, visceral afferent fibers innervate the viscera, including all smooth muscle and glands. Cranial Nerves 
The cranial nerves are 12 pairs of nerves that emerge from the brain, with a majority of the nerves originating in the brainstem. The cranial nerves collectively transmit afferent and afferent signals to and from the body, but primarily the head and neck. Some of the cranial nerves only carry either sensory or motor signals, while others, like the vagus nerve, are mixed and carry both. The cranial nerves emerge in pairs. However, they are often referred to in the singular. Along with general sensory and motor signals, cranial nerves are also responsible for transmitting special sensory signals, including smell, vision, taste, hearing, and balance. What is vagus nerve? As stated earlier, there are 12 cranial nerves in the body. They come in pairs and help to link the brain with other areas of the body, such as the head, neck, and torso. Some send sensory information, including details about smells, sights, tastes, and sounds to the brain. These nerves are known as having sensory functions. Other cranial nerves control the movement of various muscles and the functions of certain glands. These are known as motor functions. While some cranial nerves have either sensory or motor functions, others have both. The vagus nerve is such a nerve. It is the tenth cranial nerve. It is a functionally diverse nerve, offering many different modalities of innervation. It is associated with the derivatives of the fourth and sixth pharyngeal arches. The cranial nerves are classified using Roman numerals based off their location. The vagus nerve is also called cranial nerve X, CNX. The vagus nerve is one of many nerves that carry messages to and from the brain. It helps regulate internal organs such as the heart and stomach. Nerve fibers within the vagus nerve are connected to the part of the brain believed to be responsible for producing seizures. Development By week 6 of gestation, the central nervous system is said to be in a five-vesicle stage. These vesicles include the telencephalon, diencephalon, mesencephalon, metencephalon, myelencephalon. The medulla oblongata is derived from the myencephalon. The motor fibers of the vagus nerve are derived from the basal plate of the medulla oblongata. Meanwhile, sensory fibers of the vagus nerve are derived from the cranial neural crest, which arises from the ectoderm cell layer. Origin Within the medulla oblongata of the brainstem, there are four vagal nuclei, onto which axons of the vagus nerve emerge from or converge onto. These include the dorsal motor nucleus, the nucleus ambiguous, the solitary nucleus, the spinal trigminal nucleus. The dorsal motor nucleus supplies parasympathetic efferents primarily to the gastrointestinal tract and lungs. The efferent fibers that rise from the nucleus, ambiguous, supply the muscles of the soft palate, pharynx, and larynx. It also gives rise to the branchial efferent fibers and preanglionic parasympathetic neurons for the heart. The solitary nucleus receives primary efferents from visceral organs, as well as taste information. Finally, the afferents that converge on the spinal trigminal nucleus 
relay sensory information regarding pain, temperature, and deep touch of the outer ear, the dura of the posterior cranial fossa, and the mucosa of the larynx. The vagus nerve exits the brain from the medulla oblongata of the brainstem. Specifically, the nerves emerge by a series of rootlets between the olive, or the olivary body, and the inferior cerebellar peduncle. It then travels laterally, exiting the skull through the jugular foramen. The sensory ganglia of the vagus nerve consists of a superior and inferior ganglionic swelling. The vagus nerve is joined by the cranial root of the accessory nerve, CNXI, just after this inferior ganglion. The vagus nerve trunk subsequently passes down the neck between the carotid artery and the internal jugular vein within the carotid sheath. At the base of the neck, the nerve enters the thorax. However, the right and left vagus nerve take different paths after this point. The left vagus nerve travels anterior to the aortic arch, behind the primary left bronchus and into the esophagus. The right vagus nerve travels behind the esophagus and primary right bronchus. Both left and right vagus nerves subsequently enter the abdomen through the esophageal hiatus of the diaphragm and follow their own individual path to their terminal branches. Branches of the vagus nerve The meningeal branch The meningeal branch arises at the superior ganglion and re-enters the skull at the jugular foramen. This branch contains general afferent fibers and supplies the dura of the posterior cranial fossa. The auricular branch The auricular branch, also referred to as Arnold's nerve, arises from the superior ganglion and re-enters the lateral portion of the jugular foramen via the mastoid canaliculus. The branch exits again through the tympanomastoid, suture of the temporal bone, to reach and supply the skin. This branch contains general afferent fibers, and it innervates and supplies sensation to the external tympanic membrane and a small portion of the posterior aspect of the external ear. Branches in the neck The pharyngeal nerve The pharyngeal branches arise from the inferior ganglion of the vagus nerve and contain visceral afferent fibers and motor fibers. The motor afferent fibers are supplied by the accessory nerve, CNXI, which joins the pharyngeal nerve. The pharyngeal branch of the vagus nerve passes across the internal carotid artery to the middle pharyngeal constrictor muscle. Here, filaments of the pharyngeal branches form a plexus along with branches of the glossopharyngeal, CNIX, nerve, branches of the external laryngeal nerve, and sympathetic fibers from the superior cervical ganglion. This is called the pharyngeal plexus, which supplies the pharyngeal muscles, excluding the stylopharyngeus muscle, the mucous membrane of the pharynx, excluding the stylopharyngeus muscle, and the soft palate, excluding tensor palatini muscle. Branches from the pharyngeal plexus also contribute to the internal carotid plexus, located on the lateral side of the internal carotid artery, along with sympathetic and glossopharyngeal fibers. The vagal visceral afferent fibers are responsible for transmitting impulses from the chemoreceptors in the carotid body. As the vagus nerve descends down the carotid sheath, 
it intercommunicates with the filaments or branches of the cervical sympathetic trunk. And so, from the neck downward, it is considered a mixed parasympathetic sympathetic nerve. Superior laryngeal nerve. It is a structure of four branchial arc and thus innervates the pharyngeal and laryngeal derivatives of this arch. The afferent fibers of the superior laryngeal nerve arise from the inferior ganglion of the vagus nerve. This branch receives some sympathetic fibers from the superior cervical ganglion. At the level crossing of the hypoglossal nerve, CNXII, the superior laryngeal nerve passes between the external and internal carotid arteries. It then divides into external and internal branches at the tip of the hyoid bone, which lies under the mandible. The internal laryngeal branch enters the larynx through the thyroid membrane, and it supplies most of the mucosa above the glottis. The external laryngeal branch travels to the inferior pharyngeal constrictor muscle. This branch innervates an intrinsic laryngeal muscle, called the cryothyroid muscle. All other intrinsic laryngeal muscles are innervated by the recurrent laryngeal nerve, which is another branch of the vagus nerve discussed below. Recurrent laryngeal nerve. Also known as the inferior laryngeal nerves, there are two recurrent laryngeal nerves, one on the right side of the body and one on the left. They were appropriately given the name recurrent laryngeal nerves as they follow a recurrent course and travel in the opposite direction to the nerve they branched from. The recurrent laryngeal nerve contains branchial efferent fibers. The main trunk of the nerve is bound medially by the trachea and esophagus, and laterally by the common carotid artery, the internal jugular vein, and the vagus nerve. The right nerve branches from the vagus nerve at the base of the neck, travels under the subclavian artery, and then courses upwards in the tracheosophageal groove and enters the larynx. The left nerve has a similar pathway. However, it loops around the aortic arch, distal to the ligamentum arteriosus. Both right and left recurrent laryngeal nerves are given off by the vagus nerves after they enter into the thorax. So, they are sometimes included in the branches of thorax, especially the left recurrent, as it arises at the level of the aortic arch. The recurrent nerves then ascend back to the larynx. As mentioned, all the intrinsic laryngeal muscles, with the exception of the cryothyroid muscle, are innervated by the ipsilateral recurrent nerve. The one exception of this is the interary tenoid muscle, which receives bilateral innervation. The superior and recurrent laryngeal nerves connect as the ramus communicants, which provides visceral efferent innervation after the esophageal mucosa and smooth muscle. Superior Cardiac Branches The superior cardiac nerve branches off the vagus nerve at the upper, superior, and lower, inferior, parts of the neck. Therefore, there are two branches of the superior cardiac nerve on each side. The left superior branch descends lateral to the trachea, in front of the esophagus, and deep to the aortic arch, and merges with the deep part of the cardiac plexus. The left inferior branch also descends lateral to the trachea, and then passes over the aortic arch, and merges with the superficial part of the cardiac plexus. Both the right superior 
and inferior branches descend deep to the subclavian artery to diverge into the deep part of the cardiac plexus. Branches in the thorax Inferior cardiac nerve On the left side, the inferior cardiac nerve arises from the recurrent laryngeal nerve. On the right side, it arises from the trunk of the vagus, beside the trachea. Both left and right branches terminate in the deep part of the cardiac plexus. The cardiac plexus, responsible for innervating the heart, receives fibers from the cardiac nerves of the vagus, recurrent laryngeal nerves, and from the cervical ganglia of the sympathetic trunk. Anterior bronchial branches Two or three small anterior bronchial branches are located on the anterior surface of the root of the lung. Along with contributions from the sympathetic trunk, these branches form the anterior pulmonary plexus, which innervates the bronchial tree and the visceral pleura. Posterior bronchial branches The posterior branches are generally larger and more abundant than the anterior branches and are located on the posterior root of the lung. These branches form the posterior pulmonary plexus, along with contributions from the third and fourth thoracic ganglia of the sympathetic trunk. The posterior pulmonary plexus innervates the same structures as its anterior counterpart. Esophageal branches Esophageal branches of the vagus nerve, along with visceral branches of the sympathetic trunk, form the esophageal plexus. The esophageal branches extend from above and below the bronchial plexus. Filaments from the esophageal plexus project to the posterior surface of the pericardium. The esophageal branches are motor and sensory to the esophagus. Branches in the abdomen Gastric branches The branches of the right vagus nerve forms the posterior gastric plexus on the postero-inferior surface of the stomach, while the branches of the left vagus nerve forms the anterior gastric plexus on the anterosuperior surface of the stomach. Both of the divisions run between the layers of lesser omentum. The fibers from the anterior gastric extend as far as the pylorus and the upper part of the duodenum, while posterior vagal trunk, in addition to posterior gastric branches, sends fibers to major abdominal autonomic plexus, from which vagal nerves are distributed to the territories of celiac, renal, and superior mesenteric arteries. Celiac branches Celiac branches of the vagus nerve are primarily derived from the right vagus nerve. These branches join the celiac plexus, which innervates the pancreas, kidneys, spleen, suprarenal bodies, and intestine. Hepatic branches Hepatic branches of the vagus nerve are primarily derived from the left vagus nerve. These branches join the hepatic plexus, which innervates the liver. Overview Sensory Innervates the skin of the external acoustic meatus and the internal surfaces of the laryngopharynx and larynx. Provides visceral sensation to the heart and abdominal viscera. Special sensory Provides taste sensation to the epiglottis and root of the tongue.
motor, provides motor innervation to the majority of the muscles of the pharynx, soft palate, and larynx. Parasympathetic, innervates the smooth muscle of the trachea, bronchi, and gastrointestinal tract, and regulates heart rhythm. Its functions can be broken down even further into seven categories. One of these is balancing the nervous system. The nervous system can be divided into two areas, sympathetic and parasympathetic. The sympathetic side increases alertness, energy, blood pressure, heart rate, and breathing rate. The parasympathetic side, which the vagus nerve is heavily involved in, decreases alertness, blood pressure, heart rate, and helps with calmness, relaxation, and digestion. As a result, the vagus nerve also helps with defecation, urination, and sexual arousal. Other vagus nerve effects include communication between the brain and the gut. The vagus nerve delivers information from the gut to the brain. Relaxation with deep breathing. The vagus nerve communicates with the diaphragm. With deep breaths, a person feels more relaxed. Decreasing inflammation. The vagus nerve sends an anti-inflammatory signal to other parts of the body. Lowering the heart rate and blood pressure. If the vagus nerve is overactive, it can lead to the heart being unable to pump enough blood around the body. In some cases, excessive vagus nerve activity can cause loss of consciousness and organ damage. Fear management. The vagus nerve sends information from the gut to the brain, which is linked to dealing with stress, anxiety, and fear, hence the saying, gut feeling. These signals help a person to recover from stressful and scary situations. Special Sensory Functions The vagus nerve has a minor role in taste sensation. It carries afferent fibers from the root of the tongue and epiglottis. This is not to be confused with the special sensation of the glossopharyngeal nerve, which provides taste sensation for the posterior one-third of the tongue. Motor Functions The vagus nerve innervates the majority of the muscles associated with the pharynx and larynx. These muscles are responsible for the initiation of swallowing and phonation. Pharynx Most of the muscles of the pharynx are innervated by the pharyngeal branches of the vagus nerve. Superior, middle, and inferior pharyngeal constrictor muscles, palatopharyngeus, salpingopharyngeus. An additional muscle of the pharynx, the stylopharyngeus, is innervated by the glossopharyngeal nerve. Larynx Innervation to the intrinsic muscles of the larynx is achieved via the recurrent laryngeal nerve and external branch of the superior laryngeal nerve. Recurrent laryngeal nerve Thyroarytenoid Posterior cricoarytenoid Lateral cricoarytenoid Transverse and oblique arytenoids Vocalis External laryngeal nerve, cricothyroid. Other muscles. In addition to the pharynx and larynx, the vagus nerve also innervates the platoglossus of the tongue and the majority of the muscles of the soft palate. Parasympathetic functions. In the thorax and abdomen, 
The vagus nerve is the main parasympathetic outflow to the heart and gastrointestinal organs. The heart. Cardiac branches arise in the thorax, conveying parasympathetic innervation to the sinoatrial and atrioventricle nodes of the heart. These branches stimulate a reduction in the resting heart rate. They are constantly active, producing a rhythm of 60 to 80 beats per minute. If the vagus nerve was liaisoned, the resting heart rate would be around 100 beats per minute. Gastrointestinal system The vagus nerve provides parasympathetic innervation to the majority of the abdominal organs. It sends branches to the esophagus, stomach, and most of the intestinal tract, up to the splenic flexure of the large colon. The function of the vagus nerve is to stimulate smooth muscle contraction and glandular secretions in these organs. For example, in the stomach, the vagus nerve increases the rate of gastric emptying and stimulates acid production. Clinical Relevance Disorders of the Vagus Nerve Cardiovascular Many pharmacological agents can be used to potentiate vagal tone on the heart, therefore slowing the heart rate. Beta-blockers, muscarinic agonists, and cardiac glycosides such as thigoxin are just a few that can be used. Vasovagal syncope can ensue during a period of emotional stress, for example, causing a sudden drop in blood pressure and heart rate. Further to this, a carotid massage can compress the carotid sinus, leading to the perception of a high blood pressure. This will cause CNX to increase its firing, leading to a decreased activity of the SA node and the AV node. Overall, a decreased rate and strength of contraction will ensue, and the person may experience syncope. Many congenital heart defects, such as patent ductus arteriosus, can irritate the left recurrent laryngeal nerve, leading to dysphonia, hoarse voice. Gastrointestinal Lesions to the CNX are rare. A lesion to the pharyngeal branches can lead to dysphagia, difficulty swallowing, due to the involvement with the muscles of the pharynx. As CNX innervates the palatopharyngeus and salpingopharyngeus muscles, a lesion here will cause the palatoglossal arch to drop leading to uvula deviation, away from the affected side. The CNIX is sensory to the oropharynx and laryngopharynx, with CNX being the motor efferents involved in the gag reflex. Therefore, a lesion in this area will cause a loss of the gag reflex. Once upon a time, a vagotonomy could be done to reduce excess stomach acid production. However, with advancements in pharmacological therapy, this is no longer necessary. Other As stated above, a lesion to one of the RLNs will cause dysphonia. A lesion to both RLNs will cause aphonia, loss of voice, and a strider, inspiratory wheeze. Paralysis of the RLNs usually occur due to cancer of the larynx or thyroid gland, or due to surgical complication. Chapter 2 What happens when the vagus nerve isn't operating well? A little research into the vagus nerve finds a whole host of conditions 
that have either been positively linked or are currently being investigated for a link to the nerve. These range from minor annoyances to major issues. Of course, if you are impacted anywhere on a spectrum, it can affect your overall feeling of well-being and general performance. Most people will experience a vasco-vagal response due to a stressor or overstimulation of the vagus nerve at some point. Blood pressure lowers, heart rate slows, and the blood vessels in your legs widen, which can cause nausea or fainting. This is a generally harmless response, which goes away on its own. However, some people who experience it more chronically may need to seek medical help. Some other problems linked with vagus nerve dysfunction include obesity, anxiety, mood disorders, bradycardia, gastrointestinal diseases, chronic inflammation, fainting, and seizures. Of course, most of these conditions outlined can lead to further illness. For example, obesity and inflammation are both linked with cancers and diabetes. Anxiety or mood disorders might also lead to depression. Nerve Damage Damage to the vagus nerve can have a range of symptoms because the nerve is so long and affects many areas. Potential symptoms of damage to the vagus nerve include difficulty speaking or loss of voice, a voice that is hoarse or wheezy, trouble drinking liquids, loss of the gag reflex, pain in the ear, unusual heart rate, abnormal blood pressure, decreased production of stomach acid, nausea or vomiting, abdominal bloating or pain. The symptoms someone might have depend on what part of the nerve is damaged. Gastroparesis Experts believe that damage to the vagus nerve may also cause a condition called gastroparesis. This condition affects the involuntary contractions of the digestive system, which prevents the stomach from properly emptying. Symptoms of gastroparesis include nausea or vomiting, especially vomiting undigested food hours after eating, loss of appetite or feeling full shortly after starting a meal, acid reflux, abdominal pain or bloating, unexplained weight loss, fluctuations in blood sugar. Some people develop gastroparesis after undergoing a vagotonomy procedure which removes all or part of the vagus nerve. Risk Factors Factors that can increase your risk of gastroparesis Diabetes Abdominal or esophageal surgery Infection, usually a virus Certain medications that slow the rate of stomach emptying, such as narcotic pain medications Scleroderma, a connective tissue disease Nervous system diseases, such as Parkinson's disease or multiple sclerosis. Hypothyroidism, low thyroid. Women are more likely to develop gastroparesis than are men. Complications Gastroparesis can cause several complications, such as severe dehydration. Ongoing vomiting can cause dehydration. Malnutrition. Poor appetite can mean you don't take in enough calories or you may be unable to absorb enough nutrients due to vomiting. Undigested food that hardens and remains in your stomach Undigested food in your stomach 
can harden into a solid mass called a bezoar. Bezoars can cause nausea and vomiting and may be life-threatening if they prevent food from passing into your small intestine. Unpredictable blood sugar changes Although gastroparesis doesn't cause diabetes, frequent changes in the rate and amount of food passing into the small bowel can cause erratic changes in blood sugar levels. These variations in blood sugar make diabetes worse. In turn, poor control of blood sugar levels makes gastroparesis worse. Decreased quality of life An acute flare-up of symptoms can make it difficult to work and keep up with other responsibilities. Vasovagal syncope Sometimes, the vagus nerve overreacts to certain stress triggers, such as exposure to extreme heat, fear of bodily harm, the sight of blood or having blood drawn, straining, including trying to have a bowel movement, standing for a long time. Remember, the vagus nerve stimulates certain muscles in the heart that help to slow heart rate. When it overreacts, it can cause a sudden drop in heart rate and blood pressure, resulting in fainting. This is known as vasovagal syncope. Physical and Emotional Effects Excessive activation of the vagal nerve during emotional stress, which is a parasympathetic overcompensation for a strong sympathetic nervous system response associated with stress, can also cause vasovagal syncope due to a sudden drop in cardiac output, causing cerebral hypoperfusion. Vasovagal syncope affects young children and women more than other groups. It can also lead to temporary loss of bladder control under moments of extreme fear. Research has shown that women having had complete spinal cord injury can experience orgasms through the vagus nerve, which can go from the uterus and cervix to the brain. Insulin signaling activates the adenosine triphosphate, ATP-sensitive potassium, KATP channels in the arcuate nucleus, decreases agody-related protein, AGRP release, and, through the vagus nerve, leads to decreased glucose production by the liver by decreasing gluconeogenic enzymes, phosphoenolpyruvate carboxykinase, glucose 6-phosphatase. Vagus nerve and anxiety. When we are subject to stressful situations, the sympathetic nervous system is activated. If the tension persists and we cannot turn off the physiological response that triggers it, it won't pass much time before problems appear. At brain level, this involves the activation of two pathways, the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis and the brain-intestine axis. The brain responds to stress and anxiety by increasing the production of hormones, CRFs, that travel from the hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, where they induce the release of another hormone, ACTH, which, in turn, travels through the bloodstream to the adrenal glands to stimulate cortisol and adrenaline induction, which act as immune system suppressors and inflammatory precursors, which is why when we feel stressed and anxious, we will get ill easily, and ultimately we can end up suffering from depression, a disorder which has been linked to an inflammatory brain response. And, as if that were not enough, chronic stress and anxiety cause an increase in glutamate in the brain, a neurotransmitter that, when produced in excess, 
causes migraine, depression, and anxiety. In addition, a high level of cortisol reduces the volume of the hippocampus, the part of the brain responsible for the formation of new memories. The involvement of the vagus nerve will lead to symptoms such as dizziness, gastrointestinal problems, arrhythmias, difficulty in breathing, and disproportionate emotional responses. In fact, as the vagus nerve is unable to activate the relaxation signal, the sympathetic nervous system keeps active. This will cause the person to respond impulsively and suffer from anxiety. It is also curious that a study developed at the University of Miami found that the vagal tone is transmitted from mother to child. Women suffering from anxiety, depression, or experiencing much anger during pregnancy had a lower vagal activity, and their children also exhibited low vagal activity and lower levels of dopamine and serotonin. Vagus Nerve Testing To test the vagus nerve, a doctor may check the gag reflex. During this part of the examination, the doctor may use a cotton swab to tickle the back of the throat on both sides. This should cause the person to gag. If the person doesn't gag, this may be due to a problem with the vagus nerve. Chapter 3. Causes of Vagus Nerve Damage Diabetes Diabetes can cause neuropathy, or nerve damage, to a number of different areas of the body. A prolonged increase in blood sugar associated with diabetes can alter nerve chemistry and damage the blood vessels that support the nerves. In cases where diabetes has damaged the vagus nerve, it can cause gastroparesis, a condition wherein the muscles of the stomach and intestine are not able to efficiently move food through the gastrointestinal system. Gastroparesis manifests in symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, heartburn, constipation, abdominal bloat, stomach spasms, and decreased appetite. Alcoholism Chronic alcohol abuse is known to cause damage to nerves, a condition referred to as alcoholic neuropathy. Alcohol abuse has a dose-related toxic effect on the autonomic nervous system of which the vagus nerve is a part. Abstaining from alcohol can reverse the damage to the vagus nerve. Infection and Surgical Complications Vagus nerve damage can occur following upper respiratory viral infections. These infections initially involved symptoms such as cough, nasal congestion, and runny nose, symptoms that persisted in patients identified as having post-viral vagal neuropathy or PVVN, included cough, throat clearing, difficulty speaking, and vocal fatigue. The vagus nerve can sometimes be damaged during surgery to the stomach or small intestine. A procedure called laparoscopic hemifundoplication, used to treat gastric reflux, has been associated with vagus nerve damage. The vagus nerve in medical therapy because the vagus nerve has so many important functions, medical science has been interested for decades in the idea of employing vagus nerve stimulation, or vagus nerve blocking, in medical therapy. For decades, the vagotomy procedure, cutting the vagus nerve, was a mainstay of therapy for peptic ulcer disease, 
since this was a way of reducing the amount of peptic acid being produced by the stomach. However, the vagotomy had several adverse effects, and, with the availability of more effective treatment, has now become much less commonly used. Today, there is great interest in using electronic stimulators, essentially modified pacemakers, to chronically stimulate the vagus nerve in an attempt to treat various medical problems. Such devices, referred to generically as vagus nerve-stimulating devices, or VNS devices, have been used successfully to treat people with severe epilepsy, that is, refractory to drug therapy. VNS therapy is also sometimes used to treat refractory depression. Because when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Companies that make VNS devices are investigating their usage in several other conditions, including hypertension, migraines, tinnitus, fibromyalgia, and weight loss. There is indeed promise in such applications of VNS. However, the true potential of VNS will emerge once the hype is replaced by firm clinical evidence. Medical Techniques and Treatments for Vagus Nerve Vagus Nerve Stimulation There is a growing body of research to suggest that we can manipulate or hack the vagus nerve. Vagus hacks date back to some research conducted in 1998 by Kevin Tracy. Through his work, he discovered that by stimulating the vagus nerve with an electrical impulse, he could reduce the body's inflammatory response. This has positive implications for the treatment of conditions such as Crohn's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and other inflammatory diseases. Tracy's research forms the basis of the idea for bioelectronics, which we now see treating conditions such as depression and epilepsy. Outside of those conditions, inflammation is a response that we all have in our bodies, often as a result of stress. For some people, that stress and inflammatory response can become chronic, leading to other health issues. Vagus nerve stimulation involves placing a device that uses electrical impulses in the body to stimulate the nerve. It's used to treat some cases of epilepsy and depression that don't respond to other treatments. The device is usually placed under the skin of the chest, where a wire connects it to the left vagus nerve. Once the device is activated, it sends signals through the vagus nerve to your brainstem, which then transmits information to your brain. A neurologist usually programs the device, but people often receive a handheld magnet they can use to control the device on their own as well. It's thought that vagus nerve stimulation could help to treat a range of other conditions in the future, including multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, and cluster headaches. Vagus nerve stimulation is a treatment used to reduce the frequency and intensity of seizures when medications aren't effective. This procedure involves placing a small electric stimulator in the neck around the vagus nerve and a power source near the armpit or chest. The device works like a heart pacemaker to stimulate the left vagus nerve. It automatically sends intermittent electrical signals to the brain and can be manually activated to attempt to interrupt a seizure that's just starting. The effectiveness of vagus nerve stimulation has been tested through clinical trials. Consequently, the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has approved its use to treat two 
different conditions. Epilepsy In 1997, the FDA allowed the use of vagus nerve stimulation for refractory epilepsy. This involves a small electrical device, similar to a pacemaker, being placed in a person's chest. A thin wire, known as a lead, runs from the device to the vagus nerve. The device is placed in the body by surgery under general anesthetic. It then sends electrical impulses at regular intervals throughout the day to the brain via the vagus nerve to reduce the severity or even stop seizures. Side effects of vagus nerve stimulation for epilepsy include hoarseness or changes in voice, sore throat, shortness of breath, coughing, slow heart rate, difficulty swallowing, stomach discomfort, or nausea. People using this form of treatment are advised to always tell their doctor if they are having any problems, as there may be ways to reduce or stop these. Who may benefit from this stimulation? Patients who lose consciousness during complex partial seizures or generalized seizures, and whose seizures are not being controlled by medication, may benefit from vagal nerve stimulation. This treatment can result in fewer or less severe seizures, although not everyone sees improvement. In all cases, the patient will need to continue to take anti-epileptic medication. It was done before the stimulator was inserted. In some cases, the neurologist may recommend that the use of medication can be reduced a few months after a vagal nerve stimulator is implanted. Evolution Before inserting a vagal nerve stimulator, the doctor will ordinarily need to thoroughly evaluate the patient's medical condition. They will need to go through the medical record, ask about the patient's medical history, as well as the immediate family's medical history. Information about any medications the patient might have been taking, including over-the-counter medications, vitamins, nutritional supplements, and herbal remedies must all be noted. Procedure The vagal nerve stimulator is inserted during an operation that takes one to two hours. A cable is inserted to connect the stimulator with a nerve in the neck. The stimulator is programmed to stimulate the nerve at regular intervals. The battery in the stimulator will need to be replaced about every 10 years. This can be done during a simple procedure, which doesn't require a hospital stay, using local anesthesia. The patient may experience some tingling in the neck or hoarseness during the stimulation pulses. Most patients get used to these feelings over time. The doctors will provide follow-up care to ensure that the vagal nerve stimulator is working properly and is helping to control the patient's seizures. The benefits of VNS can include the following. Having fewer seizures having less severe seizures or shorter seizures, possibly less epilepsy medicine, having improved quality of life. You might find that your seizure control slowly improves over time. Six out of ten people who have VNS fitted find that the number they have is halved. However, between three and six in a hundred people who have had VNS fitted experience complications. These were usually related to infection, and sorted with a second operation. Some FAQs about VNS 
Can I have VNS therapy? Most country health control agencies have guidelines about who should or shouldn't be offered VNS. For example, in the United Kingdom, the National Health Service, NHS, have guidelines that only people with epilepsy could have it. It is restricted for adults and children with epilepsy when other treatments have not worked or are not suitable. To be eligible for VNS therapy, you must still be having seizures, despite trying a number of different epilepsy medicines, or your epilepsy medicine causes you too many side effects. You must also be unsuitable for epilepsy brain surgery, or you have had brain surgery but is still having seizures. What does VNS surgery involve? Surgery to implant the VNS system is carried out by a neurosurgeon, usually under general anesthetic. The operation takes between one and two hours, and you usually go home the same day or the next day. The neurosurgeon makes two small cuts, one in a natural crease on the left of your neck and one in the left-hand side of your chest, below your collarbone. The generator is placed under the skin in your chest. A lead is inserted under the skin to connect the generator to the left vagus nerve in the neck. As with any operation, there's a slight risk of reaction to the anesthetic. There is also a small risk of bleeding and infection. Your surgeon will give you more information before the operation takes place. You might have some pain for a while from the area of the implant after VNS surgery. Your doctor can prescribe something for this. What happens after VNS surgery? The generator is usually left switched off for two weeks after surgery. This is to help your body heal. After that, it is usually switched on by a specialist nurse in a clinic. They will gradually increase the settings over a number of weeks. This gives you a chance to get used to the stimulation over time. Will I still need to take epilepsy medicine after the VNS has been fitted? VNS is designed to be used in addition to epilepsy medicine, not to replace it. Most people need to keep taking epilepsy medicine after they have had a VNS system fitted. Some people are able to reduce the amount of epilepsy medicine they take over time. You will be able to talk to your epilepsy specialist about any possible changes to your medicine. How long does the generator last? At some point, the generator will need replacing when the battery runs low. The generator battery can last between 3 and 8 years, depending on the model and settings used. Your doctor or nurse can tell when the battery is running down during your follow-up appointments. They will then arrange for a new generator to be fitted. This involves a small operation, which lasts less than an hour. How do I get a replacement magnet? If you need a replacement magnet, contact your epilepsy specialist nurse. They should be able to provide you with a new magnet free of charge. What do I need to be careful about if I have VNS? MRI scans. If an MRI is recommended for you, it's important that everyone involved in the scan knows about your VNS system. They may need to take precautions to carry out the scan safely. You should have a patient MRI form from your neurologist to show the people during the MRI scan. Airport security scanners. 
Airport security scanners should not affect the device or be affected by it. The makers of the VNS therapy system recommend that to be safe, you should provide the airport security with your VNS therapy ID card. You can request a pat-down check instead. Other devices to be aware of. Being close to certain types of equipment can affect your generator. You will need advice from your doctor about whether it is safe for you to be where there are pacemaker warning signs. This is because the equipment that could affect a pacemaker could also affect your VNS generator. Stay at least 60 centimeters, or 2 feet, away from electronic article surveillance system, tag deactivators, found in shops. This will avoid having your generator activated. The deactivators are mostly found in shop entrances. Tablet computers and their covers, hair clippers, vibrators, and loudspeakers can all have electromagnetic field that you need to keep at least 20 centimeters, or 8 inches, away from your chest. If your generator does become activated, just move away from the device, which is causing the problem. Vagotomy Vagotomy is an essential component of surgical management of peptic, duodenal, and gastric ulcer disease, PUD. Vagotomy is a type of surgery that removes all or part of the vagus nerve. While vagotomy procedures used to be a standard treatment for stomach ulcers, advances in medications and a better understanding of the bacteria in the gut have made them less common. When they are performed, they're usually done in conjunction with other procedures, such as pyloroplasty. Why is it done? Vagotomies are traditionally done to treat peptic ulcers by reducing the amount of acid the stomach produces. These days, it's rarely done on its own. Instead, people usually start taking antibiotics to clear up an H. pylori infection or proton pump inhibitors to reduce stomach acid. If medications alone aren't enough, doctors do suggest a vagotomy procedure in combination with resection. This is done to remove a damaged or diseased part of the digestive tract. Abdominal drainage. This removes extra abdominal fluid, called ascites. Diversion. The gastrointestinal tract is modified so that the digestion process moves around the damaged or diseased part. Pyloroplasty. This procedure widens the pylorus, which is located near the end of the stomach. It helps to control the movement of partially digested food and digestive juices into the small intestine. Research suggests that it may also help to treat obesity, diabetes, and pulmonary fibrosis. Different Types of Vagotomy Several types of vagotomy are used for different purposes. Truncal vagotomy. This type is commonly used with pyloroplasty, or abdominal drainage, to treat chronic peptic ulcers. It involves cutting one or more of the branches that split off the main trunk of the vagus nerve and travel down the esophagus to the stomach and other digestive organs. Selective vagotomy. This option cuts the vagus nerve further down, closer to the organs, so that only some of its function is removed. It's a good option for treating stomach ulcers without having a huge impact on other organs that rely on the vagus nerve, such as the liver. Highly selective vagotomy. 
Like a selective vagotomy, this type involves only cutting the part of the vagus nerve that directly affects the stomach, preserving many of the vagus nerve's other functions. This type is commonly done along with truncal vagotomy. For each type, the patient will be under general anesthesia. What's recovery like? Following a vagotomy procedure, the patient will likely need to stay in the hospital for about a week. The doctor may need to periodically drain extra stomach acid while monitoring the patient's body response to the procedure. After about a week, the doctor will also remove the stitches, unless there are dissolvable ones. It can take about six weeks to fully recover. During this time, the doctor might recommend following a liquid diet until the GI tract adapts to changes in the functions of the vagus nerve. Moving forward, the patient will likely need to avoid acidic or spicy foods as much as possible. Are there any risks involved? Vigotomy process carries the same potential risks as many other types of surgery, including internal bleeding, infections, shock from blood loss, deep vein thrombosis, trouble urinating, allergic reactions to anesthesia. The patient also runs the risk of developing dumping syndrome. This causes food to quickly pass through the stomach without being properly digested. Its symptoms include stomach cramps, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, rapid heartbeat after eating. These symptoms can come on right after the procedure and become less severe as the digestive system adapts. The vagus nerve doesn't need to be shocked into shape. It can also be toned and strengthened, similar to a muscle. Here are some simple things you can do that might improve your health markedly. Number 1. Positive Social Relationships A study had participants think compassionately about others while silently repeating positive phrases about friends and family. Compared to the controls, the meditators showed an overall increase in positive emotions like serenity, joy, and hope after completing the class. These positive thoughts of others led to an improvement in vagal function, as seen in heart rate variability. The results also showed a more toned vagus nerve than when simply meditating. Number 2. Cold Cold exposure, such as cold showers or face dunking, stimulates the nerve as well, says Mentor. Studies show that when the body adjusts to cold, the fight-or-flight sympathetic system declines, and the rest and digest parasympathetic system increases, and this is mediated by the vagus nerve. Any kind of acute cold exposure, including drinking ice-cold water, will increase vagus nerve activation. Number 3. Gargling Another home remedy for an understimulated vagus nerve is to gargle with water. Gargling actually stimulates the muscles of the palate, which are fired by the vagus nerve. Typically, patients will tear up a bit, which is a good sign, and if they don't, we recommend that they do it regularly every day until they notice that they do start tearing up a bit, says Hoffman. This has been shown to immediately improve working memory performance. So, before you swallow water, gargle it first. Number 4. Singing and Chanting Humming, 
mantra chanting, hymn singing, and upbeat energetic singing all increase heart rate variability, HRV, in slightly different ways. Essentially, singing is like initiating a vagal pump, sending out relaxing waves. Singing at the top of your lungs works the muscles in the back of the throat to activate the vagus. Energetic singing activates both the sympathetic nervous system and vagus nerve, which helps to get into a flow state. Singing in unison, which is often done in churches and synagogues, also increases HRV and vagus function. Singing has been found to increase oxytocin, also known as the love hormone, because it makes people feel closer to one another. Compassion meditation has been shown to result in a more toned vagus nerve. Number 5. Massage You can stimulate your vagus nerve by massaging your feet and your neck along the carotid sinus, located along the carotid arteries on either side of your neck. A neck massage can help reduce seizures. A foot massage can help lower your heart rate and blood pressure. A pressure massage can also activate the vagus nerve. These massages are used to help infants gain weight by stimulating gut function, largely mediated by activating the vagus nerve. Number 6. Laughter As the saying goes, laughter is the best medicine. Many studies show the health benefits of laughing. Happiness and laughter are natural immune boosters. Laughter also stimulates the vagus nerve. Research shows how laughter increases HRV, heart rate variability, in a group environment. There are various case reports of people fainting from laughter, and this may be from the vagus nerve parasympathetic system being stimulated too much. Fainting can come after laughter as well as urination, coughing, swallowing, or bowel movement, all of which are helped along by vagus activation. A good bout of laughter is good for cognitive function and protects against heart disease. It also increases beta endorphins and nitric oxide and benefits the vascular system. Number 7. Yoga and Tai Chi Both increase vagus nerve activity and the parasympathetic system in general. Studies have shown that yoga increases GABA, a calming neurotransmitter in the brain. Researchers believe it does this by stimulating vagal afferents, or fibers, which increase activity in the parasympathetic nervous system. This is especially helpful for those who struggle with anxiety or depression. Studies show that Tai Chi also can enhance vagal modulation. Number 8. Breathing Deeply and Slowly Breathing techniques entered Western consciousness somewhere around the 1970s, but Eastern practitioners have been using these strategies for millennia. It turns out there is solid science behind deep breathing. You can both stimulate the vagus nerve and improve your heart rate variability, HRV. The heart and neck contain neurons that have receptors called baroreceptors, which detect blood pressure and transmit the neuronal signal to the brain. This activates the vagus nerve that connects to the heart to lower blood pressure and heart rate. Slow breathing, with a roughly equal amount of time breathing in and out, increases the sensitivity of baroreceptors and vagal activation. Breathing around five to six breaths per minute 
in the average adult can be very helpful. It is now widely accepted that deep breathing plays a core role in maintaining a healthy physiological balance. In an article reporting on a 2014 study, it is stated, Lehrer and Gewurz explore a wide range of fascinating reasons that HRV biofeedback works and reaffirm that diaphragmatic breathing is part of a feedback loop that improves vagal tone by stimulating the relaxation response of the parasympathetic nervous system. Notably, the researchers also report that people with a higher HRV, which represents healthy vagal tone, showed lower biomarkers for stress, increased physiological and physical resilience, as well as better cognitive function. Deep abdominal breathing has always been shown to reduce that fight-or-flight response during stressful situations. Most people inhale air between 10 and 14 times per minute, which means they have a superficial breathing. The ideal would be to inhale air 6 times per minute. The diaphragmatic breathing, in particular, activates the vagus nerve, and the brain interprets it as it is necessary to calm down even if the nerve has not given that order specifically. The mechanism is the same for which, if you close your eyes and make taps with your fingers on your eyelids, you will perceive short flashes of light because the brain interprets them so. With diaphragmatic breathing, we make a deeper breathing that brings air into the lower part of the chest, using the diaphragm correctly and promoting relaxation. Therefore, Another very effective vagal stimulation technique consists of breathing deeply. Number 9. Exercise Exercise increases your brain's growth hormone, supports your brain's mitochondria, and helps reverse cognitive decline. But it's also been shown to stimulate the vagus nerve, which leads to beneficial brain and mental health effects. Mild exercise also stimulates gut flow, which is mediated by the vagus nerve. Laughter stimulates the vagus nerve and increases HRV in a group environment. Number 10. Coffee enemas. Enemas are like sprints for your vagus nerve. Expanding the bowel increases vagus nerve activation, as is done with enemas. This cleansing is accomplished by increasing the liver's capacity to detoxify toxins in the blood and binding them to the bile. In the process, the liver cleanses itself as it releases the toxic bile into the small, then large intestine for evacuation. The entire blood supply circulates through the liver every three minutes. By retaining the coffee 12 to 15 minutes, the blood will circulate four to five times for cleansing, much like a dialysis treatment. The water content of the coffee stimulates intestinal peristalsis and helps to empty the large intestine with the accumulated toxic bile. Number 11. Nirvana. This wearable product sends a gentle electrical wave through the left ear canal to stimulate the body's vagus nerve, while syncing with music, which in turn stimulates the release of neurotransmitters in the brain that generate a calming sensation throughout the body. Number 12. Relax. Learning how to chill may be the number one thing to help keep the vagus nerve toned. According to Hoffman, 
most relaxing activities will stimulate the vagus nerve. Ultimately, this is where the most profoundly felt impacts can be found. Number 13. Coughing or tensing the stomach muscles. When you bear down, as if to make a bowel movement, you stimulate your vagus nerve. That's why you might feel relaxed after a bowel movement. So, if you use the bowel movement muscles, it will stimulate your vagus nerve. Number 14. Work on gut head. Signals from the vagus nerve travel from the gut to the brain. This has been linked to modulating mood and some types of fear and anxiety. A sign of healthy vagal tone is someone who has grace under pressure, a trait most entrepreneurs could use. The vagus nerve is constantly sending updated sensory information about the state of the body's organs, digestive tract, heart rate, and other information up to the brain via different nerves. There is research to show that our gut microbes and those pathways to the brain are interlinked. It is also thought that gut microbiota are the potential key modulator of the immune and the nervous systems. Therefore, maintaining a healthy gut is a vagus hack. The Takeaway Gut health varies from person to person and depends on how you are built. But in general, you can take probiotics, eat a healthy, balanced diet of whole foods, avoid unnecessary use of antibiotics, and moderate consumption of sugary foods or alcohol. As a further note, while probiotics are still being explored for their potential, a Canadian study found them to be an effective PTSD treatment. There are also implications for the treatment of stress. Exploring whether you can benefit from taking them may be a simple step you can take. Chapter 4 Reducing Inflammation Starts with the Vagus Nerve The Link Between Stress, Inflammation, and the Immune System The vagus nerve, cranial nerve X, is the main nerve of the parasympathetic rest and digest division of the autonomic nervous system. It is an important route of communication between the brain, cardiovascular system, gut, and immune system. This bidirectional nerve pathway travels all the way from the brainstem down through the chest and into the abdomen, branching off to multiple organs. The body is intricately connected, and the vagus nerve plays a key role in coordinating communication. Signals are sent from the brain to the organs of the chest and abdomen, as well as from the gut and organs, back to the central nervous system. The vagus nerve helps orchestrate this communication network by signaling the brain to produce neurotransmitters and hormones, coordinating responses, regulating stress reactions, and helping to keep inflammation in check. For example, the vagus nerve plays a central role in coordinating the parasympathetic relaxation response, helping to slow down breathing and heart rate, promote relaxation, stimulate digestion, and bring about a sense of peace and calm. To help coordinate this relaxation response, the vagus nerve releases the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, which seems to be a major break on inflammation in the body. Vagal Tone and Why It Matters since the vagus nerve is a major control center for the body, 
The health of this nerve is of utmost importance to the health of your brain, immune system, and overall inflammatory state. Some people have stronger vagus nerve activity than others, allowing their bodies to relax more quickly after stress. The strength of your vagus response is known as vagal tone. Low vagal tone has been associated with chronic inflammation. Research shows that those with inflammatory conditions, such as rheumatoid arthritis and other autoimmune diseases, often have decreased heart rate variability, a marker of reduced vagal tone. This reduced vagal tone triggers the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, substances secreted by inflammatory cells and affect other cells, and leads to an increase in sympathetic nervous system activity and stress hormones contributing to systemic inflammation. Abdominal Massage as a Natural Anti-Inflammatory Fortunately, you can activate this nerve and strengthen your vagal tone through natural techniques to help balance your immune system, calm the body and mind, and reduce inflammation. Research shows that stimulating the vagus nerve acts as a natural anti-inflammatory and tranquilizer since it reduces the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and calms the nervous system. Chapter 5. Vagus Nerve Stimulation Current Clinical Uses of VNS Treatment of Epilepsy Epilepsy affects 1% of the U.S. population, but costs $12 billion U.S. dollars to treat, figures from 2008. VNS to treat epilepsy was first used in the early 1880s by J. L. Corning, who believed that seizures were caused by changing cerebral blood flow. In 1988, the first chronic implantable stimulator was used to treat drug-resistant epilepsy. The stimulator was approved by the FDA in 1997 to treat partial-onset seizures that were resistant to pharmacological control. The current Livanova, formerly Cyberonix, implantable treatment device consists of a small, battery-powered stimulator that requires battery removal and replacement approximately every six years. A fine wire electrode extends from the device and is typically wrapped around the left cervical vagus. Case reports suggest that the right vagus can be used in circumstances where approaching the left vagus is inadvisable. Since the right vagus innervates the sinoatrial node, stimulating on the right is best done with ECG monitoring. The device can be turned on for 30 to 90 seconds to provide a brief stimulus to the vagus. Once the device is implanted, it is programmed by a physician using a microcomputer, but patients can alter the stimulus program as needed when they feel the onset of a seizure. Over 100,000 VNS devices have been implanted in patients worldwide as of 2015. The most common side effects reported are dysphonia, hoarseness, and cough, all of which may be mitigated by changing stimulus parameters. Stimulation parameters vary widely, but typical treatment for epilepsy and depression uses a range of stimulation of 20 to 30 hertz, a pulse duration of up to 500 microseconds, and stimulation on time of 30 to 90 seconds, followed by off time of 5 minutes, although stimulus intensity 
is usually decreased over time. Data gathered over the first decade of clinical VNS showed efficacy in patients who had pharmacoresistant seizures. Approximately 40% of patients using VNS showed a 50% reduction in seizures after two to three years of treatment. The mechanisms by which VNS causes changes in neurochemistry and prevents epileptic seizures are not yet known, although some evidence suggests the vagus nerve plays a role in quenching kindling of seizures in regions susceptible to heightened excitability. These regions include the limbic system, thalamus, and thalamocortical projections. VNS may also affect structures in the midbrain and hindbrain, which can contribute to seizure suppression. Although, the specific changes in these cortical circuits remain unknown. VNS also increases activity in the locus coriolis and the RAF nuclei and moderates the downstream release of norepinephrine and serotonin, both of which have been shown to have anti-epileptic effects. VNS success in treating refractory epilepsy with few side effects provides justification for its expansion to both additional conditions and wider populations. VNS may also be useful as a treatment for expecting mothers with treatment-resistant epilepsy. One study showed that women with epilepsy had a significantly higher risk of mortality during delivery when compared to women without epilepsy. The goal of current epilepsy treatment is to optimize seizure control and minimize in utero fetal exposure to anti-epileptic drugs, which during the perinatal period are associated with major congenital malformation, growth retardation, and neurocognitive developmental deficits. VNS has been used successfully as a treatment for medically refractory epilepsy in pregnant women, and physicians have concluded that VNS is a viable option for treatment during pregnancy. As a non-pharmacological treatment, VNS seems to be beneficial for seizure control in the expecting mother, and there is no evidence of harm to the developing fetus. To date, no large clinical trials have been performed to assess whether VNS has a long-term effect on the developing fetus. Epilepsy affects 0.5 to 1% of the pediatric population, or 470,000 children. Chronic epileptic seizures can have a profound impact on children's long-term neurodevelopmental and social outcome, as well as a lasting impact upon their families. Finding an effective treatment can improve the children's quality of life, since children with epilepsy often experience psychiatric and cognitive difficulties and have poor social outcomes as adults. Anti-epileptic medications have high side effect profiles and can adversely affect the behavior in susceptible children. This means that even in children with more easily controlled epilepsy, there is a high risk of psychological and psychiatric disturbance. Children with benign Rolandic epilepsy and absence epilepsy have exhibited more aggressive behavior, depression, and anxiety than children without epilepsy. Ongoing studies are focused on non-invasive methods to treat epilepsy in pediatric patients. This includes a study by the Chinese Academy of Chinese Medical Sciences testing a non-implant, less invasive transcutaneous auricular vagus nerve stimulator as an effective treatment of pediatric epilepsy. 
The study examines the change in frequency of seizures, as well as heart rate variability, quality of life, and electroencephalogram recordings at two, four, and six months after the start of stimulation. In a retrospective cohort study by Elliott et al., the effects of VNS on 141 children were analyzed, 61% of whom were less than 12 years of age. They concluded that VNS was just as effective and relatively complication-free in children aged under 12 years as it was in older pediatric patients. This study also showed a significant decline in the frequency of seizures in these children, from an average of 10 per week down to 3 per week. In 41% of patients, there was a 75% reduction in the frequency of seizures. Side effects of VNS occurred in a small percentage of children and included hoarseness, 0.7%, cough, 0.7%, and minor arm pain, 0.5%. Halbuch et al. found that pediatric responses to VNS were similar to those of adults. In 40% of children implanted with VNS stimulators, there was a 50% decrease in seizure frequency. A retrospective study on 75 children with epilepsy showed that side effects such as hoarseness, cough, and drooling were reported in only 5.4% of patients, in which all were reversible with adjustments to the stimulation parameters. Neonates could also benefit from a non-pharmacological approach to controlling epilepsy. Current pharmaceutical treatment options for epilepsy in neonates include phenobarbital and levetiracetam, although each can have detrimental side effects. Phenobarbital is the most widely used anti-epileptic in neonates, but can have respiratory and cognitive side effects. Levetiracetam has psychological side effects. Although VNS is only FDA-approved in children aged over 12 years, it has been used, along with anti-epileptic medication, in children as young as one year of age. A study conducted by Fernandez et al. on children aged less than three years showed that VNS was effective in children with medically intractable epilepsy. Their study showed that VNS led to decreased seizure frequency in 33% of patients and Static epilepticus was no longer a symptom after one year of treatment. In addition, normal MRIs were associated with decreased seizure incidence. Children with developmental disabilities, or autism, are more likely to exhibit medically refractory epilepsy. One study estimated that between 5% and 38% of children with autism have epilepsy. A study by Kirkberger et al., reported that VNS caused a 50% reduction in seizure frequency in 61% of patients with developmental delays. Levi et al. also found that there was no statistically significant difference in seizure reduction benefits and quality of life improvements between patients with refractory epilepsy and autism and those without autism. Based on these results, VNS seems to be a safe and effective treatment for epilepsy in pediatric patients. Treatment of Depression Chronic or severe depression affects up to 1.5% of the general population, and many of these patients obtain little relief from pharmaceutical treatment. In 2000, 
depression was estimated to cost $83.1 billion in the United States. Of this cost, $26.1 billion was in direct medical costs, $51.5 billion in indirect workplace costs, and $5.4 billion in suicide-related mortality costs. Although VNS was not originally developed to treat depression, patients using VNS to treat epilepsy experienced mood improvement. Thus, VNS was expanded to include the treatment of depression. The FDA approved VNS for the treatment of chronic or recurring depression in 2005. VNS treatment has been approved for patients 18 years and older who have experienced at least one major depressive episode and did not respond well to any of four different pharmaceutical antidepressant treatments. A major depressive episode is defined by the Diagnostic and Statistician Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM-IV, as having five out of the nine depressive symptoms, including depressed mood or lack of interest in normal day-to-day -day activities, occurring almost daily for at least two weeks. The goal of treatment is to restore day-to-day -day function and prevent relapses and remission, as well as alleviate current symptoms, in which VNS has been proven effective in a wide range of patients. In a study conducted by Baj Buj et al., patients suffering from chronic treatment-refractory depression received VNS, in which 53.1% of patients met the response criteria of a 50% reduction in the Hamilton Rating Scale for Depression, HRSD-28, the most commonly used symptom severity scale. In addition, 38.9% fulfilled the remission criteria with HRSD scores of less than 10. Depression is often difficult to treat because patients experiencing recurrent depressive episodes treated with conventional pharmaceuticals often experience relapses or do not experience full remission. A study conducted by Nahes et al. showed patients with chronic or recurrent major depressive disorder receiving VNS may have beneficial long-term outcomes. In their study, 42% of their patients experienced a positive effect, and 22% saw remission after two years. Both Bajbuj et al. and Nahas et al. use the same criteria for clinically significant remission, defined as the absence of clinically significant depressive symptoms. Results from neuroimaging studies suggest that the mood-enhancing benefits are caused by VNS stimulation, altering medial and prefrontal cortical transmission. These regions comprise neurons that release neurotransmitters such as serotonin and norepinephrine, which have both anticonvulsive and antidepressant effects. Although VNS will likely never be recommended as a first order or sole treatment for depression, current clinical evidence shows success with its use as a supplemental treatment for chronic refractory depression. Between 6% and 13% of pregnant women report symptoms of depression during and post-pregnancy. The most commonly prescribed drug family for pregnant women with depression is selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, although there are still unanswered questions about the safety of SSRI treatment for the fetus. Antidepressant use during pregnancy may lead to low birth weight and preterm delivery, since they can pass through the placenta. A case report from Hussein et al. showed that VNS was an effective treatment for depression 
during pregnancy and delivery with no adverse outcomes for the mother or fetus. A recent work in a rat model of VNS shows no significant effect of VNS on pups born to a dam with an implanted VNS stimulator. Preliminary research suggests that VNS can be a beneficial treatment for both mother and fetus, although more research is required for a clearer picture of the outcome. Although depression also affects many adolescents, treatment options for pediatric patients are limited. Longitudinal studies on children with major depressive disorders have also shown that the relapse rate is 40% within two years and 70% within five years. Many children with major depression are treated using psychotherapy. But if their depressive symptoms persist, they are typically prescribed antidepressant medications in addition to therapy. As with pregnant mothers, the most common antidepressant medications prescribed in the pediatric population are SSRIs. As in adults treated with VNS, studies of pediatric patients with VNS implants to treat epilepsy have shown mood improvement. A study of Hallbook et al. showed in children with epilepsy treated using VNS, not only were seizures reduced, but behavior and mood improved, while depressive symptoms decreased. Twelve of the 15 children examined had improvement in their quality of life. Further studies are needed to examine the impact of VNS on pediatric depression, but the preliminary data show that it remains a promising treatment option and may provide long-term benefit for children with depression. Potential Uses and Mechanisms of VNS An exciting new application of VNS is as an anti-inflammatory treatment. Inflammation is implicated in many chronic diseases, including cardiovascular disease, arthritis, and Alzheimer's disease. Preliminary preclinical evidence suggests that VNS may attenuate the inflammatory response through activation of the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway, CAP, a long loop from the vagus afferents through the autonomic brainstem and forebrain cortical structures, and then back through the descending vagus efferents. The CAP upregulates HMGB1, which may regulate cytokine expression, leading to anti-inflammatory effects. In recent years, Tracy et al. have devoted significant efforts to quantifying the role that VNS plays as an anti-inflammatory regulator, primarily through altered regulation of acetylcholine. These findings provide strong evidence that stimulation of the vagus nerve plays a key role in peripheral cholinergic release and its putative role in suppressing inflammation. The CAP also affects the levels of acetylcholine through nicotine acetylcholine receptors, NACHRS. Several recently completed and ongoing studies are focused on the effects of VNS on inflammatory disorders, such as RA, Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, and fibromyalgia. Other studies are focused on how VNS affects brain trauma and stroke. Because these are ongoing studies, the efficacy of VNS treatment for these disorders is currently unknown. Many of the inflammatory disorders that VNS may potentially treat also affect the pediatric and neonatal population. Since VNS has been shown to be effective for adult and 
pediatric populations for epilepsy and depression, it stands to reason that VNS treatment may be beneficial to younger patients for a variety of disorders. However, there is limited data on pediatric applications. We summarize the results of studies related to these disorders later. However, these preliminary data provide a strong rationale for expanding research on the applications of VNS as an anti-inflammatory treatment across a range of different inflammatory diseases. Sepsis Sepsis is a multi-billion dollar healthcare burden, typically due to systemic bacterial infection and chronic activation of the pro-inflammatory cytokine cascade. Sepsis is estimated to cost $22,000 per patient and affects up to 18 million individuals each year. Kessler et al. used vagotomized mice to show that lack of vagus input to the CNS can lead to adverse outcomes in a murine model of colon ascendance stent peritonitis. In an ex vivo culture of Kupfer cells, tumor necrosis factor A, TNFA, levels were decreased in vagotomized mice compared to controls, even when stimulated with lipopolysaccharide, LPS. Huang et al. showed that VNS helped to attenuate inflammation by restoring the balance between parasympathetic and sympathetic tone, and thus arresting the progression to sepsis. These investigators used an intravenous LPS injection model of inflammation to induce sepsis and found that in addition to a decrease in ACH release, heart rate variability was decreased back to baseline levels in the LPS plus VNS treatment group compared to the elevated levels in the LPS-only group. In a similar model of LPS-induced endotoxemia, Borovikova et al. used VNS and found decreased mortality that they attributed to vagally-induced release of acetylcholine. Limiting inflammation in pediatric patients without the use of pharmaceuticals is important because neonates, particularly preterm infants, are more susceptible to developing sepsis due to their underdeveloped immune systems and susceptibility to perinatal infection. Since VNS seems to regulate inflammation by modulating the cytokine cascade, our laboratory is looking at the effect of VNS on the early pro-inflammatory cytokines, interleukin-6, IL-6, TNFA, and IL-1B, in respiratory control regions of the brainstem. We looked at the NTS and hypoglossal motor nucleus, 12, which are regions of critical importance for the control of breathing and implicated in breathing problems in neonatal rats as a model for preterm infants. In the present study, we show that VNS reduces the expression of IL-6 and TNFA in response to a brief 30-minute bout of high-frequency VNS stimuli. Our hope for this preclinical translation work is that it will eventually lead to minimally invasive VNS treatment to provide early intervention and reduce the likelihood of sepsis in preterm infants. Two major concerns in extending VNS to neonatal practice are the length of time that VNS takes to be effective and the invasive nature of the implantation procedure. Although VNS, as currently used for epilepsy and depression, can take months to show dramatic effect, Short-term stimulation has been used to reduce inflammation quickly, and our experiments 
have shown that a single bout of high-frequency stimulation, 30 minutes, can be effective as an anti-inflammatory treatment. In addition, transcutaneous stimulation has been used to treat depression and headaches, showing efficacy for even short-term applications using surface electrodes. A study by He et al. used transcutaneous stimulation at the cervical or auricular vagus to effectively treat epilepsy. Further research will be needed to determine if high-frequency stimulation can be paired with transcutaneous stimulation to be an effective treatment for neonatal inflammatory disorders. Preliminary work performed by the Wilson Laboratory and others suggest that this may be possible and useful for implementation of VNS treatment in neonates. Pain Management The applications of VNS also extend to widespread inflammatory disorders associated with chronic or intermittent bouts of pain, such as fibromyalgia and migraines. Lang et al. conducted a Phase one and two clinical trial to assess VNS as an adjunct treatment for patients with fibromyalgia due to its effects on serotonergic and noradrenergic neural circuits, both of which are implicated in pain sensation. Their theory was based on results from patients with depression treated with VNS who reported decreased sensation of pain. Lang et al.'s study included 12 women with fibromyalgia and used the same stimulus patterns as for treatment of epilepsy. After 11 months, seven of the patients had the minimum clinical difference, MCID, in their pain symptoms for VNS to be considered effective. Another chronic pain ailment that VNS shows promise in treating is migraine headaches. In a study conducted by Barbanti et al., 50 patients with migraines were given VNS treatment applied externally at the neck in two 120-second intervals with three minutes in between. Of those patients, 56% reported pain relief at one hour and 64% reported pain relief at two hours. Silberstein et al. performed the ACT-1 study, a clinical trial to use a non-invasive VNS treatment at the neck to treat cluster headaches. Their findings suggest that non-invasive VNS can be successfully used to treat episodic cluster headaches, although these results need further research and larger multicenter randomized trials. They present hopeful evidence that VNS can be used to control fibromyalgia and migraines. Obesity Although VNS would not likely be recommended as a first-line defense against obesity, research on the effects of VNS on diet and weight have been performed to evaluate VNS for its use as an adjunct treatment in controlling obesity. Finding alternative treatments to obesity is especially important considering 69% of adults and 20% of adolescents in the United States are overweight or obese. Bernio et al. found that in patients implanted with VNS to control epilepsy, 62% experienced significant weight loss. Bodenlos et al. conducted a study looking at the association between VNS and food cravings in depressed adults and found that left cervical VNS resulted in attenuated food craving. Recent work by Val Lelet et al. has shown that bilateral constant current stimulation of the vagus nerve led to lower food intake and sweet cravings in obese mini-pigs. 
This study did not suggest that VNS actually caused weight loss, but rather that VNS helped prevent excessive weight gain. The implications of these studies are compelling, but the mechanism by which VNS influences weight loss is still unknown. Some hypotheses include changes in metabolism, decreases in fat stores, or changes in satiety signaling. Another potential proposed mechanism for the effects of VNS on weight is reduced intestinal caloric absorption, which can be hypothesized based on the findings that vagal tone can alter peptides that can change gut motility and absorption. These preliminary results encourage more extensive research into VNS and the impact of autonomic control modulation and hypothalamic signaling and its interaction with the enteric nervous system. A study performed by Ikramudin et al. showed the effect of VNS on morbid obesity. Since bariatric surgery presents some major risks, investigators are looking for alternative, less invasive methods of controlling obesity. Their trial showed that weight loss was higher by a statistically significant margin in patients who underwent VNS when compared to sham patients. More research is needed, but implantation of VNS devices may be an attractive option for controlling weight and managing obesity for patients who have not had success with more traditional methods of weight control. Cardiovascular Disease VNS must alter cardiovascular control due to the convergence of inputs in the autonomic control centers of the brainstem, but for how long and to what extent is unknown. The descending cardiac branch of the vagus is key for normal cardiac function. Atherosclerosis, which often predisposes one to coronary heart disease, is believed to be due to low-grade systemic inflammation. Since there is growing evidence that VNS is anti-inflammatory, it may provide another avenue for treating cardiac dysfunction and atherosclerosis. In the 2007 Cardia study, Sloan et al. showed that there was an inverse relationship between inflammatory markers and vagus nerve activity, measured by heart rate variability, suggesting that VNS is key to anti-inflammatory tone. They also suggest that high levels of pro-inflammatory markers, such as IL-6 and C-reactive protein, may indicate a predisposition to coronary artery disease. VNS may also provide a therapeutic application for preventing heart failure. Zhang et al. used a canine model to show that chronic VNS helps to regulate heart rate and improves heart function in a high-rate ventricle pacing model. In a rat, ischemia reperfusion, IR model, Zhao et al. showed that VNS improved cardiac function and reduced infarct size. Their results also showed that VNS reduced mesentric artery pathology and vasodilation caused by the IR model, and that lower levels of TNFA and IL-1B were found in serum. This is likely due to VNS effects on acetylcholine release and systemic levels and upregulation of M3-ACHR, A7-NACHR expression, which have been implicated in inflammatory modulation. See Potential Uses and Mechanisms of VNS section. But the precise mechanism is still unknown, and 
needs further work. Chaplow et al. used a high-salt, spontaneously hypertensive rat model to show that right VNS prevented aortic stiffening and slowed the progression of endothelial dysfunction. In addition, they saw significantly higher serum, IL-6 levels, in VNS rats, which may indicate that VNS modulates inflammatory function in this severe hypertension model. Based on these studies, there is a relationship between cardiovascular disease, inflammation, and vagal activity that may be altered by VNS. Lung Injury VNS is being considered as a treatment for ventilator-induced lung injury, VILI, caused by pressure-induced damage to lung alveoli. Inflammation has been shown to increase the likelihood of VILI, which is often the result of severe lung infection. Other respiratory disorders, such as acute lung injury and acute respiratory distress syndrome, both of which can be complicated by sepsis, can also result in pronounced pulmonary inflation. Experiments by Dos Santos et al. showed that the vagus nerve plays an important role in pulmonary inflammation. Interruption of the CAP by vagotomy leads to worsening VILI. Vagotomized animals with mechanical ventilation had increased alveolar damage and levels of IL-6 and hemorrhage compared to control animals. Later experiments showed that VNS, both electrical and pharmacological, attenuated the lung injury in a two-hit model of VILI, IR injury followed by high tidal volume ventilation, which can be further injurious to the lung, by decreasing the pro-inflammatory and pro-apoptotic responses. VNS may also be useful in treating gut and lung injuries together. In a study of lung injury caused by hemorrhagic shock, Rays et al. showed that VNS prevents intestinal barrier failure and protects against lung injury. In addition, pharmacological blockade of nicotinic cholinergic receptors in an in vitro culture model of pulmonary endothelial cells suggests that VNS acts through the CAP to prevent lung injury and gut barrier breakdown. A study by Levi et al. also showed that VNS alleviated lung injury caused by trauma hemorrhagic shock through the reduction of gut permeability. These studies suggest that vagus nerve activity is crucial for normal lung function, and the possibility of using VNS to improve outcome in lung injury has great promise for further research. In addition, preventing gut barrier interaction that contributes to visceral inflammation also deserves further study. Stroke and TBI Stroke and TBI are also causes widespread neural inflammation, which VNS may be able to alleviate. In a study conducted by Bansell et al., the effect of VNS on TBI was evaluated by measuring tissue and serum ghrelin and serum TNFA. Their study was based on the hypothesis that preventing the inflammatory surge after TBI could prevent sepsis, multi-organ failure, and other adverse effects. Since ghrelin is mediated through acetylcholine levels, it is reasonable to assume that VNS may have an application in treating TBI through ghrelin or other hypothalamic-gated mechanism. 
VNS decreased the serum levels of TNFA, an early cytokine marker for damage and trauma and ischemic injury. Regulation of cytokine expression by VNS may provide significant therapeutic value in these patients. Because VNS is known to have anti-inflammatory properties and affect the levels of acetylcholine, these changes in cytokine upregulation and rebalancing of neurotransmitter release may provide an immediate and controllable way to modulate injury due to stroke, ischemia, or trauma. Diabetes Diabetes is another inflammatory-related disorder that may benefit from treatment with VNS. Recent work has shown the role of the vagus nerve in the pathophysiology of diabetes and other related diseases, which may in turn suggest that VNS could be useful in treating such disorders. Cardiovascular risk has long been associated with diabetes, but the exact mechanism by which increased risk and diabetes synergize to exacerbate morbidity is not known. Pal et al. found that relatives of type 2 diabetics had increased risk for cardiovascular diseases, which they attributed to sympathovagal imbalance. Changes in sympathovagal tone may underlie the increased autoinflammation that could be the foundation of this increased cardiovascular risk. Woy and Reed showed a relationship between changes in tracheal edema in control, diabetic, and insulin-treated diabetic rats, which suggests that barrier breakdown was significantly greater in control animals, but was attenuated in diabetic rats. Changes in airway secretion are vaguely mediated, and the altered vagus tone in diabetes may exacerbate susceptibility to chronic inflammation. A broader concern is the role vagal tone plays in metabolic disease and obesity. Vagal afferents and projections to the hypothalamus play a significant role in satiety and feeding behavior, and disruption of vagal afferent traffic may contribute to obesity and downregulation of cholinergic descending tone to arrest inflammation. Myers et al. use selective efferent stimulation to significantly lower blood glucose, which may be a popular treatment for type 2 diabetes. While the interaction of inflammation and metabolic disorders is becoming clear, the potential role of VNS in treating diabetes needs further investigation. This study by Myers et al. uses a crude method of selective efferent stimulation by cutting the vagus nerve above the stimulating electrode. However, selective blockade of vagal fibers using different electrical stimulation parameters may provide the answer for using VNS to affect metabolism. Since cutting the vagus nerve is not an ideal solution for human patients, similar results may be obtained by using different parameters that can selectively stimulate fiber types or afferent-efferent traffic. Patel and Butera have achieved such results by using high-frequency stimulation in both the vagus and the sciatic nerves in rats. Whether parameters for selective stimulation, such as used by Patel et al., could be used to replicate Meyer et al.'s results without the need to sever the vagus nerve remains to be determined. RA RA is a chronic inflammatory autoimmune disease of unknown origin, which results in chronic synovial inflammation and damage to cartilage and bone 
due to release of cytokines and progressive inflammatory damage. Alpha-7, A7, nicotinic receptors are present in cells recovered from synovial fluid and from synovial tissue, particularly in cells with a macrophage-like morphology. The general suppression of anti-inflammatory cholinergic pathways plays a critical role in RA. Doss's review summarizes the current literature on the role that vagus tone plays in modulating RA, and, as in so many of these inflammatory disorders, the preliminary evidence justifies further experiments. In a recently completed study by Setpoint Medical Corporation, VNS devices were implanted in patients with RA to test the safety and efficacy of treatment. Patients were assessed after six weeks of treatment and showed a 20% improvement in symptoms. Further experiments are needed to determine the role that VNS can play in the treatment of RA, in particular, the potential role of VNS in the modulation of cytokine cascade through A7 receptors. This has been Vagus Nerve. Learn how to activate, stimulate, and treat the most important nerve in your body. Written by William Lindley. Narrated by Michael Goodrick. Copyright 2019 by William Lindley.